Hey, this is Chris Simon here, and I want to welcome you to the God Taught Me Show this week. Today, we're going to be talking about something really important and something really powerful. It's how to change things. Matter of fact, we're going to be talking about how you can have an arrest warrant for change on today's podcast. So tune in and buckle up, and God bless you. So I want to talk to you tonight about prayer and how to have an arrest warrant that's straight from heaven to bring change into your personal life, not only your personal life, but the lives of others, not only the lives of others, but your neighborhood and even your world. That's how powerful I believe this little tiny nugget that sometimes we overlook about prayer is. And I start with a question tonight. What's one of the first things do you think that a police officer does when he encounters a crime scene? You know, maybe a horrific scene. I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been a, I was a trooper for 26 years. And so I did like 14 years in uniform, uh, going to different scenes and patrolling all, all over New Jersey. And then I was blessed to become a crime scene detective, a CSI detective uh, in another part of my career. So both sides of the fence, I, I've, I've been in uniform and I've been a detective where I processed murder scenes and, and uh, you name it. And uh, I've, I've seen a little bit of it. So, but one of the first things a police officer does when he or she encounters a crime scene is this. The first thing they do is, of course, they check for life. If there's any life still possibility, you know, you render first aid, right? That's what we're taught in the academy, and that's what we do. The second thing we do, if it's a crime scene, we're going to secure it. We're going to get everybody out of there that's not supposed to be in there, and we ourselves are going to get out of there so we don't contaminate any evidence, and then what we're going to do is really important. We're going to get on our radio because if we're the first, if we're the actual first person there, and I've been there where I've been the only person on the scene, the next thing you're going to do is after you've secured the scene and, and everything else, you're going to call for an ID man. You're going to get on your car radio. And in my case, we used to have a barracks in Hamilton, and uh, I was assigned to that barracks, and I would say something like, uh, Hamilton from 424, and they'd say, go 424. I'd say, I need an ID man here right away. And if you're wondering what an ID man is, an ID man is another name that we use in law enforcement for a crime scene detective or a CSI detective, which, which, like I said, I was. So that's what an ID man was. And an ID man's job is to identify evidence at a crime scene and then, of course, collect it with the hopes that you're collecting that evidence that will eventually lead to a lawful arrest of a suspect. I remember processing a, a vehicle that was broken into in Margate. And I processed the whole car for fingerprints. And I was ready to give up. And I went over the car one more time in a, in a certain area of the car, and I got one single fingerprint, which led to a lawful arrest. Because if you got your fingerprint, if the car is broken into and I got your fingerprint on the car and the car is not yours, you got some explaining to do, you know? So that led to an arrest, and it's good stuff. So. But that's what an ID man is, and that's what a crime scene detective does. But here's what you may not realize, and here's what I'm getting to. You're an ID man or an ID woman. You're like, what are you talking about, Chris? I work here. I work there. I never processed a crime scene. You are definitely an ID man for the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've been purchased By the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are definitely an ID man. Let me explain. The Christian, man, check this out. The Christian has a unique relationship with God, whereas we just don't know God 
as a God. We are blessed to know God as a Father. There's no other religion on the face of the planet that can say that. You talk to people from other religions, they don't interact with God as a Father, okay, because they don't know him as a Father. We get to know God as a Father through Jesus Christ, through the means and the mechanism, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get to know God as a Father, which means what? It means you've got a license to pray. You may have a driver's license in your pocket right now, but you got a license to pray. And you can identify, ID things that are not God's will upon the earth. You can actually call out to your heavenly Father and bring change to any forsaken thing that you may find in a neighborhood or anything else. Changing lives as an ID person, as an ID man, let's just say you have more power than you may have realized in prayer. You can change incredible things on earth. Once I show you one verse tonight, because prayer is a gift from God that he freely gives us to, exclusively to his adopted children. It says in Ephesians 1.5 that God adopts. So if you're a child of God tonight, you're adopted. The word adopted is in the Bible. In Ephesians 1.5. And it also goes on to say in Ephesians that you are a member of God's very own household. So you have authority like nobody else on the earth. You're his daughter. You're his son. And you can use prayer to do amazing things when you get that perspective. That you're God's. That he wants to hear from you. Amen? And that he wants to utilize prayer. It gets better. You have the distinct privilege to be able to identify things on earth that are not, as I said again, God's will. Instead of driving by that drug corner and seeing that heroin addict and saying, man, I wish that guy would get arrested. I wish that guy would stop selling heroin. Or I wish this situation in this city would change. Or I wish Detroit wouldn't have so many murders. Or I wish Camden would get better. Instead of doing that, you can actually bring change to those situations because the Christian can actually be the vehicle or the cause of that change. Let me give you an example. One time a friend of mine came to me all stressed out, 6 o'clock Bible study. This guy just gave his life to Jesus Christ. He's like two months knowing the Lord. So he doesn't really know how to pray, and he wouldn't pray that loud. But he came to me and he said, Chris, my wife is stressed out. It's causing problems in my, in my marriage. I'm thinking, what's going on, bro? He's like, look, man, there's a burglar on the loose in our neighborhood. He's breaking in homes left and right. I work at the Brigada, and my wife is a, is a stay-at-home mom, and she's fearing, and she, it's messing with her health. It's messing with our marriage. It's messing with everything. She's in fear that this guy is going to break into our home next while she's home with our two daughters, and I'm at work. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's some heavy stuff. I said, bro. The only thing I know we can do is we can stand against that robber in prayer. And I know that he didn't really understand what I was talking about. But this is what I'm talking about. One thing I knew that morning at 6 a.m. is that I can identify something as not God's will. Meaning I knew that that robber breaking into those homes is not God's will. Right? So I have a situation occurring in a neighborhood that is not God's will. Me as the Christian, what can I do about it? 
Thousands of things I can do about it. I can call the police. I can, can look for the robber myself with my physical eyes and drive around the neighborhood and do a police watch, you know, a neighborhood watch. I could do all those things, all those good things. Or I can stand against it on prayer based on 1 John. Check this verse out. 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence. God wants us to have confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? If I ask anything according to God's will, according to the Holy Scriptures, God hears me. That morning at 6 a.m., I said, bro, let's pray. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray to you, cause this robber to slip up somehow, to get arrested for the, for the local police to make a lawful arrest. I pray some way, somehow, you would do something, Lord, and you would intervene and cause this robber to get arrested because I know it's not your will. And I reminded God of his promise. My buddy texted me at 4 in the afternoon. That same day, that guy got arrested Amen. that day. Amen. Amen. In one day's time, the police couldn't catch him because robbers are slick, you know. But listen, we have authority, Amen. not in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm. We have a gift, and it's called prayer. Amen. We can step into any situation, any street corner, any city, any marriage, any home, any time. And if we identify something that is not God's will, that is not that guy standing on that street corner who's pushing them drugs, that's not God's will. And instead of me driving by it and saying, that's a shame, I can drive by it and say, in Jesus' name, you will not be on this corner very long. Because I have identified something that is not God's will that goes against Scripture. God would rather have the street corner cleaned up than you selling drugs. So I step in the middle between earth and God as his child and call down God's will from heaven to earth in the name of Jesus because I had that license because I've been purchased with, with Jesus' blood, his very own blood. He has given me a license to bring change into certain areas on this earth. Don't ask me why God just doesn't clean things up, you know, and doesn't handle things on his, on his own. The Bible says not a bird falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. God loves to do things through the means and the mechanism of prayer. He loves prayer. He's a pro-prayer God. So we have authority. You don't have to get physical. You don't have to get out of your car. You don't have to even raise your voice. You just simply call out to God using your authority, saying, Father, I don't believe that this drug dealer is your will. And based on, this is what I would do, if I seen a drug dealer dealing on a corner, based on 1 John 5, I would remind God of his promise, and I would pray against it, reminding God. And that's exactly what me and my friend did. We called on the name of the Most High, El Elyon, the Most High God, and specifically asked God to intervene, and he did. <clears throat> that day, it was like, and that's where I came up with this concept, it was like I had an arrest warrant. For that burglar. But I didn't go out and track down that burglar. Not in the physical, but in the spiritual I did. And that's our arrest warrant, 1 John 5, 14. And verse 15 goes on to say that if we know that God hears us, 
we know that we have the petitions we've asked of him. That's, that is a powerful two verses in the Bible right there for somebody who likes to pray. Amen? There's a lot of things that we don't know if God's will or not. Lord, should I go to this school? Should I do this? Should I do that? But there are things that are obviously God's will that you know with your own heart. You're saying, that is not God's will. And then when you see stuff like that, you, you go to 1 John 5 and you remind God of that and you call it out in the name of Jesus and you take authority over it. But here's the problem. Not many Christians are using prayer to its full potential. If we're using prayer, which is the most powerful asset that we have as a believer, right? Powerful. Prayer is powerful beyond means. Why? Because it's connected to God. Because when you pray to God, God moves. Not like you move or your neighbor moves or the police department moves. No, it's God moving. So when you pray, that's God getting ready to move. That's why prayer is so powerful. But a lot of us don't use this as often as we should or intercede as often as we should. There's an acronym for being busy which busy takes us from our prayer lives a lot. And the acronym for busy is being under Satan's yoke. We can go all, to all the Bible studies we want, all the, even all the Thursday night studies, even all the Sunday morning services. We can do a whole bunch of stuff in church as Christians. But don't start praying, right? Because that's where the power is. No prayer, no power. No prayer in your home, no power in your home. No prayer in your school, no power in your school. No prayer in your neighborhood. No power in your neighborhood. No prayer in your church. No power. Prayer is where the power is. You know what I love about prayer? Rather you be six or 60, you can call on the name and bring change. It doesn't matter who you are, what situation you're in. When you cry out to God, change happens. And God wants us to do that. God wants us to take authority. Could you imagine what would happen in cities like Detroit or Camden if we started crying out to God in prayer, specifically crying out against those things that we've identified as an ID man or woman that are not God's will? We'd see change, and we'd see change big time. Look at Luke 18 with me. Another component of prayer. <coughs> Jesus talks about a widow who went up a, against a high and lofty judge. And at first, the judge wouldn't even do what? Wouldn't even pay attention to her. But because of this woman's persistence, the judge not only considered her, but granted her request. But listen, that's not even the most powerful part of this whole story in Luke 18. The most powerful part is when Jesus said this, starting in verse 6. He's talking about what the judge did. And he says, listen to the unjust judge. Now listen to this, verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones or his children, or other versions say his elect, who do what? Who cry out to God day and night. One of the most powerful principles in prayer that you'll ever learn is the principle of crying out to God. Could you imagine if you saw a street corner with a drug dealer on it, day in and day out, and you, one single Christian, drove by that corner every single day, and you cried out day and night like it says in the scriptures, like Jesus, like Jesus said, not your, not your pastor, not your neighbor, not your priest, 
not your friend down the street. Jesus said, if we cry out day and night, listen to what he says. Will God keep putting them off? Verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And what? Quickly. I tell you the truth, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Who will see it quickly? What type of person is, is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the person that cries out day and night to God for something that they want to see changed. That is obviously in opposition of God's will. But here's the question. How many people do you know that cry out to God day and night? How many people in your neighborhood do you know? How many people in your town do you know? How many people in your church do you know, physically know, that cry out to God day and night? If you can count them on your hand, you're in good shape. Because there's not that many that are crying out to God these days. The sea change. It's obvious. Look at our nation. The Christian has power, man, to bring change. But we're not using that power. Right? But we can, and we can start tonight. Those who cry out to God day and night are going to see change. They're going to see change in their family. They're going to see change in their, in their children. They're going to see change in their marriage. They're going to see change in their finances. And I'm challenging you tonight to go around and identify things that are in opposition of God's will, things that you know that shouldn't be happening, and to become an ID man or woman for the Lord. And then simply cry out to God day and night. Ask him to reverse that thing that you've identified that is in opposition to God's will. And then watch what happens. You might not get the robber arrested in one day, but I guarantee you something powerful and something exciting will certainly happen. And that something is going to be this. God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. One time I, was, I told you I was a crime scene detective and then later I was assigned to the evidence department, handled all the evidence. And there was a murder in Woodstown. So I had to go down to Woodstown and get the evidence. So I walk into the barracks, you know the barracks right across the street from Caltown on Route 40. I go into the barracks and I go into the detective bureau and I talk to my buddy who's a detective and I see this big schematic up on the, on the wall and it's got this name here and this hotel name here and that here. And so Mike, what's going on? What's that? He's like, oh man. He goes, that's a murder investigation that I'm the lead detective in. I'm working on it. And he goes, I have nothing. I have no evidence. I don't have anything, man. I'm really discouraged about it. And uh, I have a woman that's been murdered left on the side of the road. A Mexican woman who was involved in the labor uh, farms out there in Woodstown area. There's a lot of farms in Salem County. And, you know, we can't even identify her. She's a Jane Doe. We don't even know who she is. Nobody talks to us, and nobody knows who she is. So right now, you know, we just have this woman's body on the, uh, found on the side of the road. So as I'm listening to him, he continues to tell me a story. He goes, it's kind of a common thing sometimes. He says they go down to Mexico they uh, coerce a woman to come back to America and work in the farms, and they promise her that she'll be sending tons of money, you know, back home to her family in Mexico. Some of them get involved in a prostitution ring that's exclusively within the labor camp, within their own people. And he goes, I think that's might have what happened here. And I'm saying, wait a minute. You're telling me that this woman is murdered. He's like, yeah. And you're telling me that we have nothing. Yeah. 
And you're telling me that there's a potential that somebody went to Mexico and lied to her and told her that she'd be able to take care of her family and brought her to America, and now we got her on the side of a road dead, and now she's laying in the morgue as a Jane Doe. Yeah. I said, okay. I was furious at the moment, and I, and I got the evidence that I needed. I got in my troop car, made a left out of the barracks on the Route 40, and I call him up. And I said, Mike, you're going to have your suspect. And he's like, really? How am I going to have a suspect? I said, you're going to have a suspect, bro, because I'm going to be praying that God brings a suspect. And I knew in Psalm 106 it says that God is a God of justice. I went right to church that night, right up on the altar, and told the whole church. I said, church, this is what happened today to this woman. Basically, I was saying, who's with me? Because we're going to lock this thing in on our prayer radar, and we're going to pray until something happens. We're going to pray tonight, and we're going to pray every single day until a suspect surfaces. And I locked that murder in on my prayer radar. Day and night, like Jesus talked about a widow, I prayed day and night for a murder suspect. I got an email from that lead detective, and right in the subject of the email said, Chris, your prayers have been answered. They continued the investigation. They went to a hotel, and God is my witness. A piece of evidence fell out of a hotel book. They collected it, sent it to where it needed to be sent. They went to the State Department in Washington, D.C. They got permission to go to Mexico. They went to Mexico, and they put this lady's pictures all over the telephone poles in Mexico. And a girl says, I know who she is, and I know who she crossed the border with. And then we located the guy she crossed the border with here in New Jersey who knew the guy that murdered her, got that guy, a 15-hour interview, and the guy confessed to her murder. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm challenging you tonight to become an ID man for God, to utilize prayer to its full potential. Maybe you don't know how to pray, and that's okay. You can start small. You can start with the parking spot at the mall. You can start at the parking spot in Ocean City when you're coming to church, amen? Look, that's how you build a relationship, a father-son, father-daughter relationship. It's all through prayer. Because why? Because you start with the small things about prayer, and God shows up for you, right? I tell the story how I refused, refused to go get a golf lesson. And I went to God instead. I said, Lord, you know how to hit a golf ball because you're the king of the universe. And I locked in on my prayer radar again. I kept praying about it, kept praying about it, kept praying about it. Went on a retreat with 33 other men. Wound up shooting the lowest score of my life, winning an award for golf, all this stuff, right? No big deal. On the Cape May Lewis Ferry, they come up to me, the men, 33 guys that I'm with. Chris, seen you play golf before, bro. What happened? Meaning, dude, you stunk. Now you win an award. I said, you really want to know? Yeah. Okay, man. I asked God to teach me how to go ball. You did what? Who does that? So on the Cape May Ferry, I told the dude, I said, listen, you got three daughters. He's like, yeah. I said, if one of your daughters came to you and said, dad, would you teach me how to throw a softball in the backyard? Would you do it? He goes, absolutely, I'd do it. I said, God's a father, man. God is a father. Right? Amen. 
Prayer is so powerful. It's powerful to get murder suspects. It's powerful to do all these things, but it's also powerful to learn how to cook, learn how to balance your checkbook, learn how to hit a golf ball, learn how to do things like that. We don't rely on God. It's like, that's illegal. You can't pray for that. Really? You can pray for that. 26 years in the state police, I'm telling you, it's not illegal. You can do it. Amen. Lord, you told us, Coastal Christian, you told us, Lord, if we pray for anything according to your will, you hear us. And I pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts tonight as a result of this simple message, Father, and that you would help us to call on your name to bring change in your holy name, Father. Yes, we should go around saying, Lord, I pray against that opposition in that marriage, in that home, in that school, at that job, on that street corner. And I'm not going to back up, back down until I see your will accomplished on this ground. Amen. That's how God's will comes out of heaven and manifests or becomes reality. Right? Because we can't see it. But that's how God's will, he has a will and it's in heaven. And he said, I want it done on earth. I want my will done in that marriage. That marriage is busted up, Lord. It ain't never going to happen. Yeah, but I still have a will. But you need to intercede for me. And you need to cry out to me day and night. You need to bring it. And that's what we got to do as the Christian. You can bring change into your work. You can bring change into families that you don't even have to step in their house. You just got to hear something that's going on that's in opposition to God's will. And then you cry out. And you will bring victory. That's how God's will comes down from heaven to earth. And that's your arrest warrant for change. 1 John 5, 14, if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. Amen? That's all I got. Amen. God bless you. Hey, this has been the God Taught Me Show. I want to thank you for tuning in. And if you have a question or need some resources or anything we can help you with, we'd love to do that. Just go to our website at GodTaughtMe.com. God bless you. See you next week.